Hi everyone, I'm Kayla. And I'm Helene. And this is High Crime. And this episode is really special. We have some guests with us that we're really excited to talk to and I can't wait to finally tell everybody. Um, so if you guys could just introduce yourselves real quick for uh, our audience who hasn't yet had the chance to get to talk to you. Awesome. Okay, so I'm Fancy Maselli, and I am co-creator, co-producer, and co-writer of a new TV series that's in pre-production right now called By Proxy, and basically we are the official truthful story of Dee Dee Blanchard and Gypsy Blanchard and Nicholas Godejohn's story. We are basically telling it all and all the good, the bad, the ugly, um, truthful way of doing of doing this. Love it. <laughs> I'm Don DeSavi, and I am a consulting producer with Byproxy also. I had came to this project basically wanting to um, let the world know, you know, not to fall into Nicholas Godejohn's um, manipulation and traps that he loves to uh, set for women. Well said. Before we jump into that, I just wanted to touch upon a few things. I'm not going to make you explain the whole process of getting the rights to Gypsy's story, but basically <laughs> it just means that she has access to things like the medical records and police records and things like that, that really uh, allow her to tell a full story. Um, sure. And I know when we were talking last time, you said there's just so much more to the story than anyone knows. Yeah, there is. Um, like, I, I can't even explain how many documents I have in my possession. Um, I have thousands and thousands of pieces of paper scattered throughout my house in binders all over. Um, there's just tons and tons and tons of medical documents. Um, so basically anything that the defense attorney had, I pretty much have. Uh, there's uh, stands a couple of things. I mean, when we, when we originally took on this case, um, a lot of things were held back because they were involved in Nicholas's case. And until mm -hmm. his case closed, we couldn't get some of it. Now, since they have closed out the one case and there's an appeal now, we're being able to get a little bit more. There's still some things that we don't have but we have more than anyone else. Like I have all the medical documents and we're still getting more like every single day. In fact, we just went to battle with a couple of hospitals down in Louisiana who tried to tell us they didn't have them. And then, um, no, that's not even kidding you. They sent it back to us. Like we sent in the request. We did not put a medical file or anything on there. And when we're requesting these medical documents, guys, it's crazy. Like I have to put on there Gypsy Rose Blanchard, Gypsy Rose Alcide Blanchard, Gypsy Rose Blanchard with an E. Gypsy Rose Alcide Blanchard with an E, 1991, June 27th, 1992, 93, 94, 95. It's crazy because any of those things could have been used. That's how crazy she went about doing this. Like every file is different. And like if you send one thing to them and they're like, no, we don't have it, then because the computer just kicks it back. So, right. okay. um, so we've been through this, but then they even like, even though we sent the right things, we finally got into the system to verify what they had like we have a, a nurse who can see it but she can't like access it or anything she just knows it's there you know yeah um so she looked at it and she's like okay great now I know what to send so she sent it to them they sent it back they told us they didn't have it and I said well that's really funny because we didn't put the medical document on the form that we sent to you and you did so do you just have a medical document that has nothing in it like I don't understand 
And we went around and around with them for almost a month before they finally, after we said, we know you have it and here's how we know. And then about two hours later, miraculously, we got one file back. So well, yeah, it must be so crazy because in whatever documentary show, whatever you watch, like something that they, I mean, typically mention is that she just constantly was, you know, creating new files and, oh, well, these were lost in Katrina and, oh, like this, <sighs> because the, I feel like when I talk to people, that's the most common question is like, mm-hmm. how did no doctor stop this? Well, even with what we have, like, that's one of the things that we still question. Like, our medical team can sit and talk about this for hours and go, I don't get it. Like, we can have full-on conversations, look at a spreadsheet, and still go, I don't get it. I don't understand. Like, there should have been things that should have been caught, and there just aren't. And that's terrible. And I, and it's in, tonight, we're actually doing a live on our um discussion page because we do a couple of lives a week on a, on a discussion group that we run um, and that's the bipoxy discussion group and we're actually having our head of research come on the nurse that actually just went to the the hospital and fought them on this um, and she's explaining what mandatory reporting laws are and why we may or may not have things so it's been crazy like sans like you know throwing a fit and 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 saying hey i'm gonna get media involved and in, and in saying that you won't give me these things I mean we have been through hell it to just get the medical records but that's part of what having the life rights has done for us because you know we do have access to gypsy who is signing these papers you know so that we can so so we can get these things released to us I think it also kind of um your experience kind of stands to the greater problem of like the failure of the American healthcare system because I know every single person who's had a health issue or even myself when you ask or request for documents from another hospital and you go to your doctor and say something like, oh, were you able to read those files? And I'm like, oh, no, I never got them. So right. I feel like there's this huge gap of miscommunication like across the board. And then I would imagine even like 100 or 1000 fold for a, a actual case. Yeah, it has been. And like, um, Didi put a hold on a bunch of them so that no one could request them. So when she went to Springfield and said that Katrina happened, Katrina didn't take her records. There was hardly any, any damage to the hospitals that she would have been seen at. Um, no records were lost, nothing like that. But somebody who doesn't live in Louisiana would never know that, yeah. right? They're like, oh my God, it's devastation. Of course, of course. But so when they would request though, it would come back, no records found because she had put a hold on them. And then on top of that, you know, she's doing all this crazy stuff with, um, with the birth, birth dates. And I think, honestly, it was in a period of time where they were just switching over to like an electronic system, which made it even harder. Like you would think that an electronic system would make it easier, but in all actuality, it doesn't. Because if you have a person who goes to a records room and they go and they're looking by, you know, a last name or whatever, then they can pull it and they're like, oh, okay, so there's Gypsy Rose Blanche and this says 91, but wait a minute, there's one for 92 and 93 behind it. You know, a person can make a decision and go, I should probably pull those and look and see if they match at all. Whereas a, you know, a computer, if it's not the exact thing that it's looking for, it just doesn't, it doesn't bring it up. Right. You know, you, so, yeah. So even with changing the E, well, that way it made a difference because they're looking for Gypsy Rose Blanchardy, you know, with the E. 
you know, like, so it's crazy to think that that's what's happening, but it is. And I mean, she was a master at this and it's, it's insane to me, like in the same file, like in the same hospital, even there is so many inconsistencies because again, a computer system is not verifying between different departments. So if she goes to oncology for something, you know, she tells her this and she goes over to the dentist at the same hospital, you know, specialist, she tells them something totally different and the neurologist sees something different. I mean, it was insanity. But I also feel like the doctors never cross-referenced anything. So, I mean, and there were times that there were questions and there were things that came back that should have been questioned. And I can honestly tell you, I'm looking at a document. I see where it says, well, nothing is wrong. We don't see any re test results. These don't show this, that, and the other. You flip the page to the very next document we have, and here they are doing a surgery. And you're like, what the hell just happened? Like, oh, my God. <laughs> so, but you know I think that that kind of makes me think of, um, I don't know if you've listened to the podcast, Dr. Death, but, mm -hmm. but that one, I think, re I mean, it scared me, but it also yeah. really showed that like the hospitals are so, they're so worried about, you know, people being litigious that they'd rather just be like, yeah, sure, <laughs> sure. than actually question anything, which I'm sure yeah. is another part that kind of just fell into yeah. a tragic situation. I mean, it's just insane. We read a, a actual medical record that we found, and it was very disturbing because it's, a, it's the, the doctor, the, Dr. Beckerman, who is the doctor that actually saw her in Louisiana, and then he was in Missouri, and then Gypsy and Judy miraculously show up in Missouri, which is weird in itself, um, and then he reconnects with them, and he starts following the case again. And the inconsistency within the one document was laughable we're just looking at each other like i can't believe what we're reading like are you reading what i'm reading and so then we went live and we were so tired and so frustrated that by the end of it we were just laughing through the whole thing not because we thought it was funny but out of sheer absolute frustration just like are you are you serious like how can this even be a report that we're reading in a doc in a real medical file? Like my five-year-old, you know, I don't have a five-year-old, but at the time, you know, I'm like, you know, a five-year-old could freaking make a better file. Like my nephew who's six could, could have done better at that, you know? So yeah, it's crazy. And I don't know if it's included or not, but I feel like, um, my mom is a pediatrician and I feel like Munchausen's by proxy or things like that are covered on on like medical boards. I feel it kind of worries me that more doctors aren't aware or aren't looking for it or right. notice. Because mm -hmm. I feel like it seems, at least in hindsight, from watching the documentaries, reading mm -hmm. materials, that it seems so obvious that this mother is very sick. So yes, very. And the thing that I that I can say is that's one of the things that we're trying to bring awareness to and change, um, like the like I said, the mandatory reporting laws and how things are looked at. Because I feel like doctors, uh, nurses, even social workers, like there was a point in time where a social worker was called out to the house, but you know what? They looked around, they saw no bruising, they saw a clean house at the time. I mean, obviously by the time Gypsy and the murder happened, that house was a wreck. But back when this happened it wasn't you know and they looked around they saw food in the in the in the kitchen they didn't see anything particularly out of place but they didn't know what they were looking for they had no idea that they were looking for like medical abuse really like what does it even look like to them right 
So the same thing with doctors and nurses. I just don't think they're they're trained in this specific thing. Like everybody wants to believe that a mother would never do this to a child. Like who wants to believe that? So I think that we need to change how much information is given out there and training is done for this. And that's one of the things that we're advocating for. Titania um, is advocating for new laws to be made. Um, She's looking to open a foundation for um, children who suffered from Munchausen by proxy. you know, cases and things like that. So we're definitely trying to, through this, bring some sort of change and awareness, especially when Munchausen by proxy is, is, is the, the case, you know, I mean, doctors need to be asking more questions. And I don't understand because like, I think back to my daughter needing tubes in her ears. And for three years, I was screaming, I need her to have some sort of thing done to her ears. This is not normal. This child has an ear infection every time the wind blows differently. Why can I not get something? And then I had a doctor who finally goes, she needs tubes. She should have had them four years ago. Oh, really? That's funny. Cause I only asked for them 95 times. So I, you know, I don't know how she was able to do it but I can only say that she was she had medical training she went to school for medical assisting and so she had just enough like like to quote Dr. Phil you have just enough knowledge to be scary you know to be dangerous like that's what she was she and and she could she had that you know such and such for dummies cancer for dummies in her house and she could and then as soon as you know the internet became a big thing then you know anybody can google any symptom anywhere and create that like because she knew she had medications and she had access to it so she just fabricated it all but still I feel like this is a clear case where if anybody had really been paying attention for crying out loud something could have been done like it's that blatant it's not like she didn't do a great job of covering her tracks just to be honest it but she was super good so she knew how to you know, tell this person this and that person that. But if anybody had really looked deeper, they would have seen the facade, you know? But- well, and I, I think that's a great point that you made that doesn't occur to us because we're just looking at the crime aspect of it. But, mm-hmm. it, I mean, it makes me think of kind of like Lizzie Borden where it's been a long-running thing that people, especially kind of angel of death type people, mm-hmm. like in the Lizzie Borden case, one of the funniest things I found was they they had this whole motive where it was like, oh, if she killed her stepmother first, then when her dad died, she'd get all the money. Whereas if her stepmother died second, the stepmother's family would get it. And they literally didn't even present that at court because they were like, oh, it's too horrible to think that a daughter would kill her dad for money. And I think what you said is <laughs> great that like, she's a, a woman, she's a mother, there's no way she'd hurt her child. So this has to be just some weird you know, crazy, unfortunate medical case. Right, right. And it's crazy though, like, like, like I said, the things, the inaccuracies are like, in one doctor's office, she said that she was paraplegic. In another doctor's office, she said she's quadriplegic. Like, uh, um, excuse me? Like, what are you freaking thinking about? And then there's like, you know, I'm seeing something that I hadn't seen early on and at recently um, was released to us was this video of Dee pushing her in a wheelchair through the hospital and like Gypsy's literally sitting like crisscross applesauce with her with her legs up in the chair and I'm thinking to myself if she was paralyzed how did she do that and and so I asked Titania I said Titania is that is that 
they, you know, she had done that. She goes, not without serious help. Like Dee Dee would have had to put her legs up there like that. And then she would have had to like hold them because they would have just like, at some point, you know, they would have fallen like there. She, cause she doesn't have the muscle strength to hold exactly. them there. Yeah. Wouldn't so, her legs have atrophied if she hadn't used them right. in 10 years? Yes. Yes. And they even make that statement. Like there is a point in time where she does stand up in a doctor's office. Her mother literally freaks the hell out and is like, we're leaving, right? And the doctor is like, well, she, why, I don't know why she can stand, but she can't walk, you know? And then she never went back to that doctor again. Oh, like literally, <laughs> you know, obviously not. Oh my God. She's, and so, you know, it's so funny because people are like, well, why didn't she just stand up in a doctor's office? Um, hello, she did. <laughs> it doesn't matter. Didn't matter to anybody. Did not matter. You know, so. <laughs> so, crazy. so initially I was going to ask, like when you started looking into this, was there a moment that you were just kind of reading documents and when you just kind of had that moment where you were like, we have something here. But I mean, it sounds like it was just every moment. <laughs> every moment. No, there is not a document in her thing that I go, yeah, that one makes sense. Okay, let's not even pay attention to that one. <laughs> I mean, I got to a point where I stopped highlighting because like, what was I highlighting the entire freaking page? It was like, <laughs> I, was, I, was, I was eating highlighters. Like, seriously. I'm like, I need another pack of highlighters. My husband's like, you are killing us with the highlighters. Like, <laughs> it, it's like, fancy, you've literally spent $30 on highlighters this week. This has got to stop I can't afford this you know? <laughs> and I was like but but he's like you've highlighted an entire freaking what did you not highlight on the page why don't you just highlight the things that make sense to you instead of the things that don't <laughs> so it's so wild and then to kind of pivot just a little um since I know you like you said you've had a chance to talk to Gypsy all the mm -hmm. portrayals of her are so juvenile so I'm just kind of curious what is it like talking to her now Oh, you know, if you'd asked me this question a week ago, I might have had a different answer for you. Um, <laughs> no, not kidding. We've, we've, you know, Gypsy is, she's obviously emotionally stunted, yeah. you know, um, that's, that's something that is, is a huge thing. I mean, she's a mature girl. She does have, you know, she's, she's not stupid. She's not, um, you know, she's, she's very smart. She, she's articulate. Um, but there is still also that she is stuck in a period that, you know, I don't think right now she's gotten past because she's not getting help to get past it. And that's another problem. Like one of the things I've said repeatedly about this, you know, she was given a 10 year sentence and nobody thinks that she shouldn't have paid for what she did. We all, nobody condones what she did. Not even her parents, not me, not anybody involved in this, this thing condones what she did, but we all kind of understand how we got there. There. And that's part of what we're trying to show with by proxy is that it wasn't just a murder. There is an entire, you know, not just 23 years worth of story, but, you know, her mom's whole story because it all plays into it. Um, and if you go back into Dee Dee's life, you can see that this was a pattern all through her whole life too. But when talking to Gypsy, she's, you know, it's, it's almost like some moments I feel like I'm talking to a 60 year old and some moments I feel like we're talking to a 15 year old and it's it's hard and it's not her fault it's not her oh, fault for sure um well, also you know because you know, people comment about the sound of her voice but that's a yeah. real 
thing that you can look up that children who've gone, especially women who've mm-hmm. gone through trauma in youth, mm-hmm. you, it mm-hmm. changes their vocal cords. Like it talk. does, but also, I mean, to be honest, I actually asked about it when I first started investigating, and Rod said that her great-grandmother had the same sort of voice, oh. so it's not unusual for that, I guess that they kind of have that. Um, but with Gypsy, like what I think about the sentence is like, so she got 10 years, okay? But the problem with being in prison for 10 years is that's another 10 years before she actually gets real professional help. I mean, she's done some anger management classes and she's written, you know, they had her write a letter to her mom saying how angry she was and how she felt and different things. But no real professional help. So she's not getting something to progress her or to rehabilitate where she's at from what her mother did to her. So she's basically trying to figure it out on her own. And let's be, let's face it, she's in prison. So she doesn't have the best role models to try and figure this out, you know? So no, it's really hard. Yeah. And I mean, even just personally, I mean, Helene and I talk about this all the time and it's just like, even just like dealing with my own issues, which, which are not even remotely comparable to hers. I Mm -hmm. like, I see a therapist, like, because it's just, Mm -hmm. you can't deal with that kind of stuff alone. Right. And that's that's, like, and I have like a relatively, you know, I have an apartment and a job, so I have a relatively normal life, but it's like, Dale, because then additionally, you're dealing with all of the trauma of being there. Right. And, and yeah, so she's not in the best of places. Like, you know, and the fact of the matter is she feels more free in freaking prison than she did with her mother. How freaking sad is that? Like, okay. And then beyond that, like one of the things that we have another girl on our team researching, like I had her start with A to Z, you know, going state by state. And I said, I want you to call the state and I want you to pick two or, you know, look up the state, look at two or three different prisons. And I want you to call those prisons and ask Ask them, what is your mental health program within your facility for your inmates? How many times do they get to see somebody professional? How often? And the the results are shocking. Like, it's almost nothing. Almost nothing. And you're sitting here thinking about this person needs help. And this is one of the reasons why we are the number one country in reoffenders because they're not getting any help. You're not rehabilitating them. You're basically, and Dawn can talk on this a little bit about how like her life experience has been that, you know, she did end up in prison at one point in time. And you're basically given, like she said to me, the first time I talked to her, you're given a bus card and Don, you want to tell her? Because I can't remember exactly what you said, but you've said it really many times. And you always say it so well. So on that part, I was going to say, when you are released, um, there is actually like a social worker which comes to see you and they literally ask you, so where are you going to go? I have no idea where you're going to go. They will give you a list of shelters. And that day at six o'clock in the morning, sometimes earlier, they literally open the gates, they let you out or they drive you to a bus um, place and say, here's a bus ticket and have a great life. Don't come back. So from there, you're just, you know, people, if you don't have a family, if you don't, you know, if you're from the inner city and you go to even some of the shelters, if they don't have room, you're literally back where you're started. And just the mental state that you're in, you know, you already feel defeated coming out of something that 
you wanted so badly to change. Right. And without giving them any tools inside to cope with any of those feelings or what got them there in the first place, how are we expecting these people to come out and be productive members of society? And why do we not care about mental health in these in these prisons? Like, how is that the, the good way to deal with this? Like, you know, people are people have even said, well, Gypsy should have been in a mental institution. Have you been to a mental institution for the criminally insane? I wouldn't put anyone in a, crim a mental institution for the criminally insane. Like, that's not what, that's not a, that is not an answer, especially for someone who isn't totally crazy. Yeah, like, she's I mean, she's not crazy. There's a saying, you're having a normal reaction to an abnormal situation. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, that I feel like kind of describes like a lot of people's reaction to trauma. Not that mm -hmm. the actions are okay, but that it's mm -hmm. clear that you're acting, your brain is going into survival mode and that you need to learn different coping skills. Yeah. Uh, and you're not just going to learn them on your own. You need, you just, it just blows my mind. And I think it all is just because in general, we don't care about mental health. The way we no, not at all. Not at all. But like of all places, prison should be where you have good mental health. Exactly. I agree. Like, I agree. And the thing is, is like, I can tell you, I have my, you know, I have my own problems with, with mental health. You know, um, I have bipolar disorder. I have anxiety of depression. Um, and at one point in time, every time I would see my doctor and they would ask me how something was working for me and I would tell them it's not, instead of stopping what they were doing, they would just give me another pill. And I was on nine different medications just for bipolar disorder, depression, and anxiety nine pills at one time until it was so bad that one day I drove my kids to school I drove home I pulled into my driveway and I went how the hell did I get here and that was the day I walked into my you know I walked into my house I picked up the phone and I called my doctor and I said I need off these pills and he's like I don't I don't suggest that and I said I don't care what you suggest I need off these pills I have got to find a way to get off these pills and do what I need to do for my you know for my family and it's been you know I think it's been about five or six years now that I did that and I'm not on pills at all for any of it but I I've, I worked on myself to um, you know find my triggers and understand what makes me upset and make and when I'm having a spiraling moment how to stop myself but most people don't learn those things you know, and I don't advocate for trying to do it without medication. My husband is also bipolar. There is no way that man could ever do it without medication, but he doesn't go and see a therapist because every therapist he's ever been to has been horrible. And there was one time, you know, my husband and I had a lot of problems at one point, and I was telling a story of something that happened between the two of us. And my therapist looked at me and she goes, you know, I think that you accept things as normal that aren't normal. And I lost my shit I just literally lost it I was like are you kidding me I can't believe you've even said that to me right now if I thought it was normal do you think I'd be be freaking telling you about it like it wouldn't have even been crossing my mind to tell you if I thought it was normal I got up I walked out of that office I stormed out the receptionist looked at me like I was an insane person you know and she's like uh, do you want to come back I'm like not here like you know and I just left and it's like but I think about all the problems I had like part of 
my anxiety and part of my stuff is that I don't like to leave my house. Like I went through a period of time where I didn't want to leave my house at all. And if you knew me as a young person, you would think that, oh my God, I can't believe she didn't want to leave her house because I always was out doing stuff. But I went through a period of like four years after losing my mother that I didn't want to leave my house at all. My kids had to like really get me up and going to go anywhere. So then I would get penalized through the mental health system because I missed a missed an appointment because I literally couldn't get out of bed and go. You know, and then they, and I'm like, but you understand that this is part of my problem, right? You're not taking any of this seriously. We sit in here, I talk to you for half, you know, 45 minutes, you listen to me talk, you say absolutely nothing, and then I go home. And half the time, I feel worse than when I walked in here. How is this? even helping me so if that's my experience on the outside what do you think they're going through in prison where they don't even get to talk to anyone no that's that's so true and i feel like personally i had a similar experience i mean i only recently started going to therapy again because when i i tried to go in college and you know i was talking about issues i had like my family and i we get along really well but everybody has their baggage and stuff and so i i went to see someone just to kind of talk about it and they were just Kind of like, obviously I can accept when someone is doing something wrong, but the way they were going about it felt very like, like they were like team Kayla, which is great. But then they were just like saying bad things about like my dad or my mom. And I was like, okay, well, I'm not here to hear you say how horrible my family is. Like, I want to, I, I want to voice what I think the issues are and hear your opinion or whatever. But so I just, I mean, I didn't go back for like eight years. I think another important thing about therapy and about mental health in general is to acknowledge, and again, like we don't have the education for this anywhere in this country really, but is to acknowledge that it's not a one size fits all thing. And oh my God, I know. It doesn't have to be. You just do what, because I didn't know, like I didn't grow up knowing about therapy. So I went to a therapist and I didn't like her. And so I was like, oh, I don't like therapy. And it's just like, that's so not the case. There's different kinds. There's you know, they're just, and yet you said like you can use drugs can help some people. They can hinder others. It's just, it's such a process and no one knows enough about it. For me, like with my own struggles with mental illness and experience and meeting all sorts of different people through, um, I've done some things with NAMI, the National Alliance with Mental Illness. And mm-hmm. what you notice or what I've noticed is that the only difference between me and someone else who may have served time is that I had the privilege and access to help, to medical Uh help and and therapy that another person didn't have. And that's the only difference between us because I feel like that's the biggest missing link in our A, our our incarceration system, and B, Uh our mental health system, is that your privilege, Uh your access, um, your class determines where you're going to end up point blank. Right. Exactly. Dawn, talk about that because, I mean, she told me a lot about this for herself. Yeah, and I totally agree with you. Um, you know, I, I've i seen people, I was from a very, like, you know, the ghetto. And um, I recently, when my mom was doing better, moved us to um, a very, very rich town. And, you know, so I got to see the diversity and how I was treated, you know, even by teachers, professionals, in the whole entire, you know, like town, even, you know, the police. I had a friend that was better off than I was if we were, you know, to do something. I was getting talked to first before she would. But just growing up and then having the struggles, like, 
in just in my area alone, I can say, you know, mental health is one of the biggest issues. There is no advocacy for it. There's a lot of these doctors that are here, you could pay money and they will prescribe you prescription pills that are, you know, that you don't need. And that's how a lot of these people are making money. You know what I mean? And it's just absolutely insane that somebody can walk into a doctor's office in a underprivileged, you know, town and pay a couple hundred dollars and receive any type of medication that they want. But if I was to go into a higher, you know, class town, that would not happen whatsoever. Mm -hmm. And the difference in between, you know, professional health is is insane you know with the town that i live in now my daughter has also you know mental health issues and they were like trying to put her on medications that sedated her so much and you know as soon as i voiced my opinion it was you know oh you don't want the help what kind of mother are you blah 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 but then i took her to a different town with a better doctor and they were like what are you talking about why was she put on that kind of medication that medication is for adults. Mind you, she's only 11 years old and was put on a high dose of Seroquel. Wow. So it's just, it is totally different. And I absolutely agree that if you are an underprivileged citizen in the United States, you definitely do not get the same health care as a, you know, a privileged person does. And, and it varies and it varies from state to state too like like when i was in arizona i got great health care i could go anywhere i wanted i could go see any mental health physician i wanted most of them took the state insurance you know it was great i moved to kentucky we cannot do that we are not able to go to any mental health facility we are only able to go to these like state funded facilities and they're terrifying they are literally i would go in and like i said one of the problems with me leaving first of all i don't want to leave the house second of all when i get to where i'm going i have to feel comfortable where i'm going but i would go in there and there was like people screaming and like freaking out and having these attacks and like they're they're just i mean it was terrible and it was like i felt like that i would go in worse you know go in and come out worse off because it, i couldn't even have the ability to choose somewhere where I felt comfortable going and that's not to say that those people that that were doing that you know they can't help that they're that they're having those issues but obviously somebody who has anxiety and is you know just a regular person it, it, that's going to be upsetting to them you know and I need to be somewhere where I can go in and feel you know the whole point of going to therapy is to feel better right well yeah. if you go in there and you're already on 10 when you walk in the door like how is that going to help you at all so we've gotten off topic, but <laughs> yeah, that's okay. But I mean, I think it was all important to talk about. Um, I just have one more question before I, you know, we really want to talk about Nick. Uh, yeah. But, and I don't know if you know anything about this, but I mean, that you can share, but do you know anything about Gypsy's engagement? Um, I do. <laughs> um, I just, you know, it, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a tough subject to talk about. Um, we just did an article in In Touch about it, um, and we are we're very concerned about it. Um, not that he's a bad guy or anything like that, because I mean, I just I, we don't know him well enough. But I mean, we definitely um, are concerned um, because I don't feel like you know I don't feel like she's in a good place for that. Um, you know, Doctor Phil has talked about it. Nancy Grace has talked about it. Um, we talked about it. 
uh, she got very, very, very upset the fact that Tori and I did this article the other day, um, and which was in no way, shape, or form bashing him. Um, like I said, I don't have a personal thing against him because I don't know him. Like, you know, my concern is for Gypsy and all the things that being engaged in prison or getting married in prison or any of those things are hindering her from progress when she gets out. You know, uh, I think everybody would like for her to come out and just be gypsy. Like, I, I try to explain it to her in the best way that I could t tell her possibly. And I'm like, look, being a wife and being married is not fun. Like, it's <laughs> not roses and lovey-dovey romantic notions. Like, it's hard. And some days... Some days, it's only liking that person slightly more than the, all the other people that piss you off in your life. Like, <laughs> you know, I mean, seriously, that's the difference between, that's why women don't kill their husbands, because, oh, well, I like you slightly more than the guy who cut me off in traffic today, so I guess you can stay, right? Like, you know, like, so there are days, and, and I'll tell you, to, to be honest with you, in marriage, those days sometimes are more often than good days, you know? I mean, yeah, it's, it is watching TV on the couch and things. But then in that same sense, like, Gypsy, you've not experienced this at all. Like, nothing, you know? She has not had experiences. And so for us, that's concerning. Now, you know, I, do I think he loves her? Sure, sure. I think he loves her. I mean, um, do I do, but do it, is it going to last? Who freaking knows? Like, good marriages don't last. Like, marriages that you go into thinking, oh, my God, they're the best couple in the whole wide world. You know, three years later, you're like, what the hell happened, Brenda? Like, where did Scott go? You know? Like, so, <laughs> like, so it's just, I, I just worry about it. Um, I know, you know, we're all concerned on the team. We've all expressed this to them. Um, it's not been met with great, um, you know, <laughs> they do not like what we have to say. And that's one of the issues where, you know, I feel like that immaturity level is still there because I feel like she still has this romantic notion of what marriage should be, that it should be this fairy tale of like riding off into the sunset on the white horse. And I'm not quite sure she really understands that that's not really what happens. I think that sounds like a really, um, intense like escape fantasy for her from kind of her what sounds like a nightmare of a life and I wonder mm -hmm. if like again where you were saying mental health group therapy coping skills would help something like that like yep. kind of look at the fantasy dissect yeah. it instead of uh, a more rash action yeah yeah and we've tried to explain to him like like one of the things that Christy said to him was Ken you can't do this alone like, you're not going to be able to help her alone. You're going to need help. There is, not only is there just all the things that her mom did to her, that prison is doing to her, that the murder itself has traumatized her, what Nick did to her, like all those things. But on top of that, she's coming out into a world that she doesn't even understand that she's this huge celebrity. Like she, we tell her, but she, how could she even grasp that? Like she does not understand, you know, it's almost, she doesn't. It's almost like The Room, that movie. It's like, yes. it's really, there's yes. no there's no way for her to know what to expect because she really hasn't experienced the real world except through right. lens. Right. I like it when your, your ref frame of reference is Rapunzel, you know, like, okay. But you know what happens at, and then this is something that as a child, we tell everybody, you know, and they lived happily ever after. 
well, what the hell do you think happens after they lived happily ever after? Your husband leaves crap on the floor in front of the laundry basket and put instead of put, putting it into the laundry basket. You know, there's life, there's people, there's things. People don't get along. Everything happens. Bills are due. All these things. And literally, like happily ever after, oh, wow. You know, it, that's such a notion that doesn't really 100% truly exist it does but it doesn't you know it's yeah. the happiness you it's the happiness you make like I'm not trying to say that marriage is terrible and I hate it you know like I love my husband I've been married for 23 years but there are days I want to kill him <laughs> you know like you know and I'm like just get out of my face I don't even want to look at you right now and then there's days like oh my god you're the best guy in the whole wide world you know but yeah. I don't think she understands that that's a give and take. Like I really do think she's just going to come out and have, you know, this wonderful, glorious life that is just going to be so simple and easy. And I just don't feel like we're setting her up for a, a real good, you know, it's going to be a wake up call when she comes out, you know? Well, I, I think also for him, it's hard because I know just, you know, being the person that I am, uh, despite whatever I'm dealing with, I always, I'm kind of like a mom with my friends and I always want to, you know, be supportive and help people. And sometimes I am a bad judge of character in that way and that I find someone right. and I let them kind of take advantage of me because I just want to be helpful. And so yeah. for, for him, you know, regardless of whether he loves her I think it's just, that's a lot to take on yourself. Right. And I don't even think he, you know, he's a 26 or 20, I think he's 26. He might be 27 now, you know, just a 26 or 27 year old guy. And I think, you know, like guys, they don't develop at the same rate that women usually develop at. like, you know, and so I think to myself, does he really know what he's taking on? Like, I don't think I got married at 21, you know, my husband had no clue what he was doing and it took a good, like, I'm serious, a good nine, 10 years before we got to a point where I was like, okay, now he's caught up to where I'm at. Like, you know, like, no, and it's not to say anything bad about him. He just, yeah. he came, he came from a mommy who, you know, folded his clothes and made his lunch and everything. He's going off to his job, like not high school. I'm talking job. This man has a job, and she's still folding his laundry and putting it in his drawer and making his bed. And, and I'm like, so my husband had no clue. He walked in this marriage, and I'm like, well, don't you know how to wash your own clothes? I got to go to work. And he's like, I don't know how to use a washing machine. What? You know, so. <laughs> Um, and, and emotionally, like, you know, I was like, we would argue about bills and I'm like, you do understand that these are a thing that gets paid every month, right? Like this isn't a, this the electric bill is not sneaking up on us, babe. <laughs> you know, like, so there were things that like with that, I think about that maybe he doesn't even realize that on a normal marriage that there's stuff like at 26, 27 that may, he may not be prepared for, but even beyond that, like now you're dealing with not all the adversity that, that comes along with marrying somebody who's been through what Gypsy's been through, you know? And it's no one's fault. It's not her fault. It's not his fault. But are they really prepared for this? We'd like to see what they are like outside together. Like they don't even, yeah, they can talk on the phone and have emails and visit each other. But really knowing a person is way more than that. We all have those friends, right, who like move it, who have a long distance relationship with someone they meet online for like a year and then they get engaged and they move in together and then within six months they're broken up and back crashing on their friend's couch because you don't know someone. <laughs> 
Yeah. And like, you know, that's, that's what we tried to explain. And I think it's just so hard for her to understand because she just doesn't have connection. How how can she even compare something to something else? Like Gypsy, you've never had a relationship. Like really, Nick was not a relationship. Like even with, with the two to three years, that's not a relationship. It was not. It was through text messages. And obviously he was not who he presented himself to be. Or if he was, what was your judgment on that? Because good Lord, who tells you that you're, you're, I'm a 700 year old vampire and you're like, oh, okay, that makes sense. Like, you know, and that's not to make fun of her or anything, but really like the thought process for her wasn't there because all she has is fairy tales. And yeah, okay, that does make sense to her. And and for me, that sounds a loop simply ludicrous. Like I would have heard that and I'm like, I'm out. I gotta go. I don't know what the heck's wrong with this dude. He thinks he's a seven hundred year old vampire. I like vampires. I still wouldn't have freaking like, you know, been like, Yeah, that sounds good to me, you know. <laughs> so well, so, I mean, that's a perfect segue to, uh, you know, if yes. anyone's listening who maybe just watched, say, the act, the way that ends, it very much paints a picture. I mean, I completely fell for it because I felt super bad uh, for him, but it paints this picture of Nick as this kind of, you know, this autistic kid who was struggling and he was taken advantage of and then kind of tossed aside. And uh, I mm. let's talk about why that's not <laughs> quite accurate. <laughs> uh, Dawn, you can take it away, girlfriend. <laughs> I, when I first started talking to Nicholas, um, I too felt, I didn't watch um, the trials or anything like that because I did not want to go into speaking with him with any type of judgment. Um, The only thing that I did see is where he um, was talking to the judge at his trial, you know, like when they were sentencing. sentencing. Yeah. And, And he said that, you know, all he wanted was a connection in this world. And, you know, so I reached out to him. We basically hit it off right away. And I quickly began to notice that he was not this poor autistic boy. So, um, like I said, when I started speaking to him, I noticed that he, he didn't speak slowly And, you know, I was, then I started getting curious. So I was like, let me watch, you know, the interrogation. And, you know, I was sitting there looking and I was like, wow, like he spoke so slowly and, and, and it just didn't make sense. And, you know, I started talking to him and I was like, you know, you don't, you don't sound like, you know, you're autistic. And basically his answer was, you know, it kind of, I'm not in the way of all I have a problem is, is I process things a little slower than normal. You know, we, we continued. I um, actually, he asked me to start a, um, a Facebook group, you know, in support for him. And I did. And where I was at in my life, I can honestly say that, you know, I was down. I had a man that was, you know, yes, he was a murderer, but in my past, because I was in prison, Like, it was so easy for me to not judge somebody because, of course, you know, when you're in prison, you're around murderers. It's not like you have that option. They don't do it by, you know, calculation. (laughs) So, you know, my my three bunkmates literally, you know, one killed a baby, the other one killed her husband, and the other one killed her girlfriend. So I was already predisposed, you know, towards people like this. So I was at a a point in my life where I was like, you know what, you know, he's saying nice things to me. 
and we started, you know, talking about dating. And he he basically said, you know, would you want to do this with me? Would you, you know, be with me? And I and I said yes. And you know, going forward, it was, you know, there wasn't always bad times. But when it started to the point where, like, you know, the first inkling that I had that you know something wasn't right, and it was when he went to we. My daughter was in the hospital. She hurt herself, and I was there. And it was basically a whole thing like, oh, well, you, he called and I said, I can't speak to you right now. Um, I'm at the doctor's, you know, my daughter hurt herself. And it turned around. He was like, what do you mean you can't speak to me? I waited for you all day. I need to speak with you. Your voice makes me, you know, go through a better day. Da, 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 da. And I was like, well, like, I literally can't. The doctor, you know, said I can't have a cell phone in here. And he flipped a lid on me, made me feel so little, belittled. To the point where I literally wound up staying on the phone with him, fighting with him and, you know, the whole 20 minute phone call. So that's where like, you know, the, it started to, you know, change. And I've been in abusive relationships before, but I just, I was so like, I don't know, like broken. And I was like enamored by this man and I felt sorry for him. And, you know, I wanted to protect him and, you know, he totally turned out to be something that he he is not and like whatever the ad portrayed I did watch it and it is just like such a wrong thing of him and you know I've even spoke with Gypsy and it's like we have this like kind of connection now that like we can literally talk and say like hey like we've been through this and it was you know it's so nice to have somebody and that I could say hey did this happen to you and she's like yes absolutely when he did his oxygen thing she emailed me and was like I'm just checking in and I was like that's funny because I was writing you too, checking in because she watched it also. He's a very, very manipulative and controlling person. He wanted these, you know, these Facebook groups, like I had to ask for money for him and like post, you know, things in the Facebook group for him. And, you know, I had a bunch of, you know, girls that, you know, support him too. And I even went to them and said like, hey, he's like kind of verbally abusing me. And I was told that, oh, you know, it's just an autistic thing. You should you shouldn't worry about it too much. And it just got to the point where I was like, you know, this is crazy. I'm not like really wanting to do this anymore. And then it came to a point where he literally emailed me and said that if we were going to be together, that I would have to be okay with him to rape me if he was able to get out on a, an appeal. And he had, yeah, he had very, he has a bunch of, you know, alters. There, he's not, he doesn't have DID. He's, he says he he said that in the interview or the interrogation. He doesn't. He even said that to me. He does not. These are just BDSM alters that he has. Mm -hmm. And you know, if you are to be with him just as Gypsy, and I, I I totally understand where she's coming from. I know now she is not a liar. And to the point where, if you want to be with Nicholas, you have to make these alters to match his. And if you don't, it's just like it's a punishment. I had to be okay with him hurting me. And yeah, and, yeah, and I've read these emails. And as a person on the outside looking in, I mean, they are horrific. Like absolutely horrific. And I follow true crime. Like I am a big true crime buff. I thought I'd seen it all. And then I've listened to Ted Bundy speak. You know, I listened to the confession tapes. I've listened to serial killers talk and I'm like, Oh, okay. But not explicitly like this. Like this is just 
oh my lord i was shocked and then every time she sends me a new one that when she first came to us he was still corresponding with her even though she was like trying to cut it off he kept sending her messages and i was like oh my god don these are terrible to the point where i was telling her you need to delete jpay like don't have this anymore because this is scary and i'm worried for you Oh my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, he had to have been like the biggest thing I, he was supposed to be, I had to be his innate slave and innate slave is like, he is like the almighty master and, you know, I am beneath him and I need to at all times, you know, do what he says. And that's what I did most of our relationship. And, you know, people that are supporting Nick now are very, you know, they are, they attack me. They don't know exactly what went on between us because I wasn't going around saying, Hey, you know what? He's, he, if he says, blah, 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 you know, because of his father, his father's another one. If I said anything or did anything, he would report back to Nicholas and I would be getting punishment for it. You know, there'd be days he wouldn't uh, like a day or two. He wouldn't call me purposely knowing I would worry like, Oh my God, what happened to him? Is he hurt? Did somebody try to jump him? But that was his form of punishment, even from prison. So he's still exerting that power. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. And like, I, and you know, these people that support him, you know, and when he found out that you know, I was trying to help other women, like, that's the thing. Like, I'm not trying to destroy him. I don't want to, like, hurt him. But in the end of the day, there are these women that I know because I was a Nick, you know, fanatic that are out there and are going to be the next to me. And I don't want that for them because the emotional damage and crap that I've been through with him, like I'm still working on, I still struggle. Like I can, I'll call fancy and be like, you know what? Like I still love him today and I don't know what to do about it. It's hard to break those cycles. Mm -hmm. Right. Would you say that he kind of exhibited these kind of classic narcissistic personality type traits, like starting with love bombing? Like, was he very intense when you first met and then kind of showed his true colors after that? Yes, absolutely. Like that's how I became so enamored with him is because he treated me in the beginning like no man like that I always wanted to be treated as you know what I mean like even if I you know he wasn't going to get out on an appeal like I was ready to spend the rest of my life you know monogamously with him through moving to Missouri and you know or wherever he ended up you know in Missouri to be close to him and having a relationship that way like there is nothing else that I want from this than to make a platform even to advocate for women that are in this position so they know that you know I'm out here you know and my name's Dawn DeSavi. You can look me up on Facebook and I'd be glad to like speak with you and, you know, share my experience and like try my hardest to, you know, help them get out of a situation by telling them how and what I've done. By proxy has been a new family for me because of my past life. You know, I haven't had anybody to care for me like this team has cared for me. It has been an amazing experience. And I can say like out of all of this, I am so thankful that I met these women and, you know, have a whole team of women that like every day just send me like, how are you doing? Oh, you're beautiful. Don't forget it, you know, type things. And they have built me up so much. It's just amazing. That's that's so great because that's 
that you need that kind of support to be able to to deal with this stuff and when people you know ask like how are they staying in this relationship and it I mean I read a tweet the other day I don't remember exactly what it said but it was something along the lines of you need to put more effort into your non-romantic relationships and then it won't be such an issue when you're struggling in you like you don't have to be clingy or mm-hmm sucked into something. And I think that's such a right. good point because when you, the person you love doesn't have to be your entire life. Shouldn't, I mean, a great part of it for sure, but to have those other relationships and to have other people to support you. And when you're going through a fight, you know, you can talk to someone and be like, am I being crazy? Or like, am I being, am I not being heard? And it's, you have that sounding board. So you're not just, right. because the big thing with abusive relationships and I mean, cults and everything like that is isolation so then everything's just completely in a bubble and you don't know how to react exactly and you know that's what like now I am like completely working on myself and you know there's even you know somebody on the team that has her credentials and I talk to her you know every single day and she has taught Mm -hmm. me so much about myself to look up trauma bonding which is why, you know, women that have been in bad relationships keep going back to the same things. It's because, you know, it's like right. a connection. It's, it's an addiction almost because it's not healthy and that's all you know. You know, I had a good relationship before in my life and I destroyed it because I did not know how to be the other person, you know, to give somebody, you know, the love and respect back to them as that they deserve. That's about it for this week. Check back next week for part two. Later, bye. Bye. Bye.